This message was presented at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Father in heaven, we pray that you will be with us during this uh, session, that your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts, in our minds, so that we would take hold of, of, this, of this vision that you have placed in our hearts, that we will not ignore your call, that we will desire to know even better your will and to know you even better, and that we'll apply at least some of the things that we have learned not just in this seminar, but in the entire GYC event. Not only for our own well-being, but for those around us as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. What will it take to take the plunge? You know, um. Sometimes uh, when I was teaching, I would have students come and ask me at the beginning of a class, Doctor, what does it take to get an A in your class? Have you ever done that with a teacher? Yeah, what does it take to get an A? Well, in the old days, I used to have to tell people. Then later on, I decided, you know what, I'll just, do? I'll just put that in the syllabus. Okay? If you want an A, this is what you have to do. Uh, but some people would say, Doctor, oh, hmm, hmm. I think I'll go for a B. <laughs> I think I'll go for a B. I hope that none of you are thinking, with God, you'll go for a B. Huh? I think you should go for an A. How many of you want to go for an A? Yeah, all right. I, I, there's a remnant here. <laughs> Okay, so we're going for an A. So what will it take to take the plunge? You see, when we talk in classroom uh, situations, I'm, I'm going to use that as a metaphor for, for this one, um, the, the, the student counts the cost. You know, yeah, well, hmm, I have these other things I want to do. That, it's not worth it for me to do this. But when we talk about now uh, salvation and and, 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 and being involved in, in the things of God. What will it take for us to, to take the plunge? To say, I, I'm, I'm really, I, I really want to do this. Okay? I really want to be this way because, you know, we're, we're not just human doings, we're human beings. I'm going to be this way. Lord, change me to be this way. And we know that this is, this is a process. Okay. But what will it take for you to take the plunge? Think about it as we're going through and we talk about comprehensive health ministry. This stuff that we do for everybody in the church calls us to abandon our human cultures. 
Sometimes when uh, I talk around the country, around the world, there's so much cultural overtone. You know, we do it this way because our culture does it that way. Uh, we eat this way because our culture does it this way. You know, we, we, have, we have cultures uh, from, from the, the larger society. We have, we have even cultures in the home, you know. Uh, we have cultures in different parts of the country. In, in, in New York, they do it this way. And in California, well, they don't do it at all. You know? <laughs> That's just kind of how we go. So uh, we have cultures and cultural overtone. But, but comprehensive health ministry calls us to abandon our human cultures and adopt a new culture. And that culture is the culture of heaven. That we live in the atmosphere of heaven while we are still on the physical now, does that, does that sound appealing to you? It, it does. It appeals to me. When God wants to change the world, He doesn't send in tanks and missiles. Instead, He sends in the meek and the humble. Which means we need to learn of Christ and be meek and humble, as He says, right? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. And learn of me, right? That I am meek and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. How many of you want rest? <laughs> I do too, right? doesn't send in tanks. Instead, he sends in meek and humble. He doesn't use bombs and bullets. Instead, he uses kindness and compassion. Romans 2, 4. It is the, don't you know? The, don't you know? This is what it says. Don't you know it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance? God doesn't force people to repent. He woos them to repentance. Compassion. Ah. To suffer with someone else and be moved by compassion. To help. Compassion is not static. Compassion is active. It's dynamic. He doesn't deal in terror and hate. That's what the world deals with. Instead, he doles out forgiveness and love. But don't ever confuse forgiveness and love for weakness. No, no, no. There is no power on earth stronger than love. None. Love conquers all. And God is the personification of love. Is he a just God? Yes. Is he a loving God? Yes. He is love. But it's interesting, in the personification issue, we don't hear God is justice, but he is. But we hear God is love. What if Christians really believe the Bible? Think about that. What if Christians really love one another? If you hear that they're giving away free lunch tomorrow, and you're here, and you, don't, you didn't have a meal ticket, but they're giving it away free, how many of you immediately would think about your friend who doesn't have lunch, even though you don't have lunch either? You know what? What? This, this is the kind of stuff that God asks, that God is calling us to do. That we'll esteem one another as more important than us, okay, and that we love 
one another the way we naturally love ourselves. I mean, this is, this is an impossibility for us as, as uh, just mere mortals. It's only through His power and His grace are we able to even think that this might be a possibility. But, but think about that. He wouldn't call us to, to, to be some way and to, and to do something that He isn't going to give us the ability to do and to be. What if we really, really love one another? Christians really, if, what if Christians really took seriously the two great commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor? The way it was in the parable of the Good Samaritan, now, you know, that, that story, uh, I'm sure there are millions of, of, uh, of sermons about the Good Samaritan. I just want to point out one little thing. You need to understand that this Good Samaritan uh, th- that parable that Jesus was, was, was speaking about had some truth to it. And that the Samaritans were so despised that the Jewish man probably wouldn't, want, wouldn't have wanted to be touched by a Samaritan. And the Samaritan saved his life anyway. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Will you help somebody who, when they wake up, will spit in your face? We'll think twice. But this is the extent to which God is calling us to love. Hmm. Would there be as many lonely elderly people if we did these things? If we were this way, would there be as much crime? Would there be as much drug and alcohol use, as much suicide, as much need for government programs? (laughs) No, I I can see the mayor of a town saying, no, hey, listen, we don't need all these these programs because we have Adventists in the community. Yeah. Can you imagine that? You know, we were hearing uh, today the, the issue with the genocide in Rwanda. I have talked to people. Actually, I've, I've been uh, in his house, in his home. But I've talked to people in Rwanda, and I've talked to people in other parts of Africa, and I, I say, just imagine for a moment, just imagine for a moment what would have happened if the Seventh-day Adventists who were there had a safe haven, that they would defend to the death regardless of what the tribe was that people came from. What if? What if it wasn't the Hotel Rwanda that was a safe haven, but the Seventh-day Adventist church? And people would turn and say, look how they love one another. They would even prefer to die than to let their brother in Christ suffer the atrocity of the genocide. Huh? That's far away. But right here in the United States, we have racial issues, we have, we have economic issues, we have, we, have, we have all kinds of stuff that's going on. That are, and, and God is waiting for us to love one another. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have 
vegetarian burgers for lunch. I'm, I'm not picking on vegetarian burgers, okay? <laughs> uh, but that's not the means by which we are, we are identified. We're identified by the love that we have for one another. And so if we are healthy vegetarians and we do not have love, this is a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13, right? We have nothing. That's what he's saying. What will the world look like if we really did this? What, what, what would it take for you to take the plunge? Talk to the person next to you. Pray together. Just a little prayer, right? And, and see what you can think of. See, see what, let, let's see what happens, okay? Talk to the person next to you. What if? What, what does it take to... to Look, we have, we have ambitions, right? Uh, you know, you want to finish this project, you want to get this, you want to do this, you, right? All these, we have all these things. And they get in the way, oftentimes, of actually committing to God. And all the while, we're telling ourselves, Lord, help me. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? You know, Jesus wanted to live in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know that, right? He didn't want his father to pull away. He didn't want sin to separate him from his father. When you had to leave home, if you had a good, close relationship with your family, did that feel good? No. But he had been with his father from the beginning. Whenever that was, in eternity, he's always been with him. Think about that. And now he's beginning to feel the separation. Sin was beginning to affect his relationship. And he's, and he's saying, it hurts. If there's any, any way, that any other thing, that this, do it. But he ended up saying, but not my will, but thy will be done. So, I want to get a PhD. I have to be, I have to be willing to say, look, if this is going to fracture, if, if doing this is going to cause a problem, throw it away. How Jesus puts it, if your eye causes you to stumble, causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. <laughs> Nothing should come between you and God and God and you. Right? I mean, just, just think about that. I mean, is that serious? Yeah. Yeah. So, Lord, help us. Okay. All right. 
man. We were talking here. You know, this is, this is really serious stuff. It's serious stuff. Um, it's not just something that you, you, know, you talk about lightly in a seminar and whatnot, and you say, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to... No, this is, this, is, this is life and death stuff, okay? And yet, it is so easy for us to use all of the other... Uh, things that we have, all the baggage that we, that we come with, you know, personal baggage and cultural baggage and, you know, professional baggage and all of this stuff that we superimpose that makes it difficult for us to take the plunge. <laughs> you know? But this is, this is such an important issue that Jesus used, used graphic language to describe what we should do with anything that comes in the way. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, what you should do? Now, who, who here is going to go and pluck your eye out and throw it away? Yeah? But he's saying it's that important. It's that, it is so important that if your eye causes you to sin, take it out. It's better to go to heaven blind than to not go at all. That's serious. Life and death. What if this group, you, the remnant, <laughs> the remnant, put into practice the golden rule and acted like the Good Samaritan? What if, what if you were to, what if you, we were to do this? Okay? Now, I'm going to assume that most of us don't live close to each other. Right? But imagine if all of us live in the United States that now we have pockets in the United States, of people living like the Good Samaritan. I think it's infectious. But it will also bring on some other things. Because when we do and act like Jesus, we can expect to have opposition. But he says, when this happens, count it joy. That's what he says. Because they persecuted me too. And it's not you that they're after, it's me. Count it joy. You're doing, you're on the right track. <laughs> and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says he's going to be with us. We really shouldn't be fearing. We should have no fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Isn't that right? But of? And? Power and a sound mind, right? Okay. Well, if we were to act like the Good Samaritan, how would our homes be different? Think about that. I was saying earlier today, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but this sin is tiring. If it weren't, if, if there wasn't some enjoyment to it from my old self, I'd have let it go a long time ago. 
in doing health ministry stuff, I would sometimes put up some slides of uh, different kinds of foods. And I have this, uh, this hamburger that it's like the most scrumptious hamburger that anybody could think of. But you know, it's only scrumptious to the people who have had it. If you've never eaten a hamburger, it has absolutely no appeal to you whatsoever. I've put up that picture and people have said, uh. And others say, ah. Oh. <laughs> right? They've tasted it. And it wouldn't be so tempting if it didn't taste good. And this is the issue of sin. It temporarily tastes good. But the problem is, it is deadly. So you have a sweet poison. How does that sound? <laughs> this, is, this is a terrible, terrible thing. And the enemy of our souls knows how to entice us, how to bring things. You know, we might say, okay, just, just thinking about this. Okay, I'm going to go home. And yes, I'm going to remember this. Lord, help me, right? Two days later, maybe not even two days, maybe this evening, right? Something happens, and you're back where you started. But don't give up, he says. Who perseveres to the end, he shall be saved. Persevere to the end. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap. If we don't faint, if we don't lose heart. You know those texts, right? We hide them in our hearts that we don't sin against God. So they, the Holy Spirit will bring it to our memories, bring it to our remembrance, so that when we are prone to do something, we, 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 we hear it. We say, ah, yeah, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. What would it be like in our homes? I made this challenge to a group in the island of Palau. We have a, 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 I have a project in that island. And I asked them, what would it be like? Because in that island, there are two churches that don't talk to each other. Can you imagine that? Maybe I shouldn't have put the names up, but they don't talk to each other. And, 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 the, and the not talking to each other was because of political issues. And this has gone on now for two generations. So I asked them, how would Palau be different if you guys really treated each other the way you should? The, the work would blossom. So I ask, to take the plunge, do I really love? I'm asking you that. You ask yourself that question. Do you really love? Do I really love Jesus? I mean, I say it. Do you say it? We sing it. Jesus, we love you, you know. Oh, how I love Jesus, right? 
You know what the Bible says? Read the book of First John. No, the Bible doesn't say that. I'm telling you. Read the book of First John. <laughs> uh, whenever I start getting really smug and I start thinking that I've, I've, I've arrived, I'm reminded to read the book of First John again. <laughs> I tell you. Jesus says, if you say you love me, who you don't see, and you don't love your brother, who you don't see, who you do see, you are a liar. That's what the Bible says. You're a liar. Okay? So now... I'm going to call you a name. Liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) Because we really don't love the way he's talking about. We all like the, we like the text. I tell you, this this is the the Christian uh, motto, right? For God so loved, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Come on, say it with me. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Praise the Lord for that. But I ask people all around the world, I ask them, well, do you know what 1 John 3.16 says? Anybody knows it by heart? 1 John 3.16. Then look it up, please. Look it up. 1 John 3.16. Memorize this text too. The way you memorize John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. It says, This is how we know what love is. What does it say? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Up there, what does it say next? Uh, So we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Do we really love Jesus? I mean, really? Are we willing to do this? Are we willing to? uh, Do we really believe the Bible? Do I really, really love Jesus? Do I really love people the way he says I'm supposed to love people, my neighbor? Do I I really do that? Do you really do that? So what is keeping us from taking the plunge? Do you love your friends? Yes or no? Yeah, right? You know why? Because you got to know them. I am sure if I got to know all of you, I'd love you too. But I'm going to say it this way. But I love you now and I don't know you. Really? What will I give for you? Will I take my last dollar and give it to you as opposed to using it for myself? You would do that for your children, wouldn't you? Or your parents or your loved one, right? 
your last dollar, you say, here, here, yeah, it's okay, go ahead. But will you do it for somebody who you don't know? And a dollar is small, how about 10? Okay, how about 20? Let, let, let's, let's up the ante a little bit. How about 100? <laughs> Ricky, would you do that for me? <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's things that we'll do for our friends, somebody comes and asks you, would you do it? You know, we, we, we can say, yes, we have, to, we have to have good judgment and whatnot. I'm not throwing judgment out the But we have a default position, and the default position is no. <laughs> okay? That's a default. Right? Instead of saying, okay, let me, let me, let me consider this. Okay? Because Jesus says, you know, if somebody asks you for something, give it. Some sobering thoughts. This is a paraphrase. Love not the world, you know the text, love not the world, nor the things of the world. So here's this paraphrase. Love not the modern secular society, nor the things of the modern secular society, because if anyone loves the modern secular society, the love of the Father is not in him. So, do you love the modern secular society? Doesn't the modern secular society have hooks in us? Yeah. And, and yes, some things are just convenient. And we say, well, you know, I don't really love it, but you know, it's, it's, it's there, so I, I use it. Right, right, I, that's, that's understandable. That's understandable. But, but it's a sobering thought that we may actually love the modern secular society. We, we, we love our lifestyle. We, we aspire to a better life, and the better life is often... Defined in secular terms. Isn't that something? We are to provide a Seventh-day Adventist who are looking forward to the soon coming of our Lord and Savior to be traveling to a city that is built without hands, without human hands. We have to provide a viable alternative to the modern secular society, not in faraway monasteries or secluded compounds, but close at hand as a living testimony. Where we are, in our homes, in our churches, where we work, we should create those environments. This is what God is calling us to do. What will it take to take the plunge? To finally say, this I will do. Ma'am, I need a thousand dollars. Can you give it to me, please? Okay, she said, if she had it. You guys heard this? Let me take the microphone and you can hear. <laughs> I'm not putting you on the spot. But you know, 
the main reason why she can't give me $1,000 is because she doesn't have it. When we're supposed to be sharing with other people, we can't share what we don't have. It's, it's that simple. So how can we share love and compassion when we don't have it for ourselves? When we don't even know it for ourselves? When we haven't experienced the fact that we are actually sinners and we've been forgiven, we find it hard to forgive other people. You know, I remember a, a poignant event in my life. When actually, the pastor started to speak to me. You see, prior to that, he was speaking to the church. <laughs> and then, I was going through some difficulties. And the pastor started to speak to me. I, I, I knew that I was a convicted sinner. And what he was saying had meaning for me. That was a turning point in my life. That I actually came to realize that I was just a good guy. I, I like to pretend I'm a good guy. You know, if you if you know me, you'd really like me because I'm a good guy, right? Well, you know what? I'm a bad guy. Not not just in the superficial bad guy. I am a sinner. I am, I am a sinner. I am worthy of hellfire. Do you realize that that's what you are worthy of too? And you know, misery loves company, so I'm going to spread it around. But when we say we are sinners, that diffuses it too much. I am a sinner. And what is it going to take for me to accept, really, fully accept the gift that Jesus offers me from his point of view, freely? that costs so much. And like an idiot, like a fool, I turn away and I make excuses. What will it take to take the plunge? Here is what we live with. We live with pride, we live with ego, we live with arrogance. Three faces of the same coin of sin. And this can affect any one of us, and it can affect a person who is a Christian, because sometimes we might believe that because we are Christians, we are a cut above. We 
we have a certain pride in the profession of being a Christian. And this is the antithesis of what Jesus is about because (laughs) there's no room for pride in his economy. But there's wide berth for humility. You know, the story is told of this, uh, in this town, they were looking to find the most humble man. Have you heard the story before? Yeah, they were looking around for the most humble man, and everybody in the town knew that this guy who lived down this lane, that guy was the most humble guy in town. So they had a big parade one, one Sunday, and they gave him a plaque that says the most humble guy in town, right? On Monday, a reporter went to his house to interview him, and the plaque was hanging on the door. If you didn't get that, see me afterwards. <laughs> yeah. We're sometimes even proud of our humility. Right? So here is this little kitty <laughs> with a self trick. What do you think? Here, kitty, kitty. No, no, no. That's what that kitty is seeing. The better situation is that we think of ourselves soberly. That's what the Bible says. Not more inflated than we thought. We should see ourselves the way God sees us. And be thankful that by his grace and his mercy... We're still alive. Because we are worthy of death. Because we're sinners. And if you say that you are not, God says you're a liar. All have sinned and and fallen short of the glory of God. All. None is righteous. No, not one. We have pride of profession, and, and as a physician, I, I, I know it, I see it, I feel it. But it's not just physicians, it's whatever profession we are. This is how it goes, right? James 5, 18 to 20 says, But someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that God is one. Good for you. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Oh, foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is worthless? We have, we have this pride of professional achievements and pride of status. Okay? Yeah, yeah. It, it, society breeds this into us. You know, just look at how when we talk to each other, when we meet somebody for the first time, we, we try to, you know, gauge where are you socioeconomically and where are you socioeconomically and, you know, how important are you and how important, you, you know, this is, what, this is what society breeds. Now, my dear wife, who uh, uh, is somewhere around, 
um, after we got married, she became a stay-at-home mom. And it was so interesting, you know, meeting uh, friends and colleagues and whatnot. And they'd say, oh, you're just a housewife. Just a. Just a. But let me say this. If we get offended by that, we're in the same boat. You understand? Are you following me? If we get offended by that, we're actually in the same boat. We're thinking the same way that they're thinking. You're just a humble carpenter. Yep, I'm just a humble carpenter. (laughs) That's Jesus. I'm just a humble carpenter. Selfishness, self-sufficiency, pride, ego, and arrogance cannot coexist with love. And remember, the primacy is of love. This is what God is calling us to do, to take the plunge and love, okay? To receive his love and to love. How am I doing with time? Okay. If we look at the Ten Commandments, I, I got this picture and I, I thought, this is, this is a good picture. I like this picture. Love, specified into the Ten Commandments, into the Constitution, the love Constitution for the Christian. Four about loving God, six about loving our fellow man. Love is the character and the will of God. That is, that is who he is. That is what he is. That person, he personifies love. And if we are of God, we also not only are partakers of his love, but we are dispensers as well of his love. That's what we should be. And we have, of course, the spirit of prophecy and all the writings that tell us that we should love and we should be loved too. And then we saw this earlier about the implicit and the explicit things of God in Matthew 7 and Matthew 25. And now I introduce the idea of Isaiah 58. Ah. Is this the fast that God is calling us to? To just shun some things, but not be willing to share what we have with those who are not fasting because they are on a fast. They're fasting because they don't have. Are we willing to do that? Anybody here heard about Schindler's List? Uh, the, the real story, Schindler? Okay. It was made into a movie. Uh, the real Schindler was reported to have said at the end of World War II, with tears in his eyes, if only I had done more. He saved over 1,200 Jews from the concentration camps. And he was calculating, you know, if I had sold this, I would have gotten this amount of money and I would have been able to save one more Jew. If I had done this, I would have been able to do and save one more Jew. I think that story is one that's going to be repeated with us 
If only, if only we had let God have his way with us, taken the plunge. This guy who is headed in the wrong direction instead would be headed to heaven. Who around us are we willing to see perish? Well, there are others who say, well, I'm going down so you can go down with me too. Misery loves company. But we all profess that we want to be on the right side of the equation. We want to be on God's side. We know how the story ends. Ah, do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Philippians 2, 3. Wow, consider others more important than yourselves. So what does that mean? What does that look like? Why don't we spend two or three minutes saying what that would look like in your space? considering others more important than yourself. Let's do the exercise. What will that look like? Starting with whom? <laughs> uh, if your wife, consider your husband more important than yourself. If, you're, if your husband, consider your wife more important. If your child, consider your parents more important than yourself. If, right? Consider. What would that look like in your home? In your school? In your work? Mm-hmm. So how would you show that? You have a roommate? So how would, how would that look with your roommate? somebody's going to say, why are you doing that? He's taking advantage of you. And you say? And you see, and you see that's, that's the thing. We, um, what, what people then inject, what society injects, is don't be fairly untreated yourself. You understand? When you do things out of love for others, it's, no, 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 they're taking advantage of you. So, do your children take advantage, well, you don't have any kids, but do your children take advantage of you when they're sick and you have to stay home to take care of them? No, they're not taking advantage of you. That's, that's, that's what you're there for, right? You, you, you're a parent, right? And if we look at our friends and our, our colleagues and our, in the same way, God placed us there to be of service to them. That changes the whole equation. Yes, very different. Now imagine you and your friend 
having a disagreement over serving. Like you say, it seems as though you're busy, I'm going to clean the room this week. And he says, no, 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 no. You did it last week, and uh, I have a lot of uh, free time now. I'm, I'm going to take care of it. And you say, no, it's okay, I'll do it. And he says, no, 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 I'll do it. <laughs> hmm? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? This is serious stuff. Serious stuff. <laughs> Anybody would like to share some anecdote, something that that anyone? Yes, ma'am. We did it. I've had a couple times in the last couple months, but one is within my student government. Um, I'm being vilely attacked and attempted to have me kicked out and removed. But um, when the president was attacking me and seeking my removal, I still gave him my CBD oil, my other natural remedies when he'd have a headache or when his anxiety was out of control. I still gave those things to him, despite Uh the fact my health was going down from him attacking me. And there's times I've dropped everything for a friend of mine in Utah who we hadn't spoken in six years because um, we had a fight. But when she she contacted me and, and said, I have a double kidney infection and, and blood all three ways, um, I dropped everything. And I had like seven days to get ready for the next semester. And I used my food money to drive the 12 hours. And I just trusted whether it be someone else helping me, God was going to make you know, all the stuff you have to do in those last few days before the semester starts just come together somehow, and it did. So you were there for her. Anybody else? So I work as a, a nurse. I'm a nurse Christian. Uh, yeah, yeah, a nurse, nurse Christian. Christian. Uh-huh. <laughs> you got it, you got it. <laughs> and so, yeah. there's a, you know, there's a big nursing shortage everywhere, right? So down in South Texas where I work, there's a really big nursing shortage in our hospital. And so there's a lot of days where we're just really frantic and just trying to get our work done. And, in, you know, in addition to, you know, accomplishing other things, taking care of our patients, help, you know, just other things, working with yeah. the interdisciplinary team. And, um, and I was, this really struck me because a lot of times it's like every man for himself, you know, like, um, I can't, sorry, coworker, I can't help you with your patient. You know, I, I know I'm on my way down there, but I can't pick up your med from the pharmacy because... I need to do my things first. And so I think, and there's a lot of bitterness, you know, it's a lot, there's a lot of tension, a lot of, you know, it's really hard to just, you know, there's not that, um, like cohesiveness, I guess you could say as a team. So, yeah, I think so. This really struck with me, like considering others, like, you know, even though I might be having a super busy day, if I, you know, it might be a little out of my way, but I can consider my coworkers. I can consider my patients doing the small things for them. And so, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I, I got a story uh, recently about this guy who was, um, he was asked to paint a boat for somebody. And it was fixed what price he was going to have. So he goes over to paint the boat. And while he's painting the boat, he, rec- he realizes that there's a little hole in the hull. So he decides he just fix it. So he fixed the hole, painted over it, everything looked nice and neat. 
he got paid and he, everything was all right. A few days later, the owner came to his house and gave him a check for a lot of money. And he said, what is, what is this for? I, you paid me already for this. He says, no, I, I, I'm paying you for fixing the hole. He said, what are you talking about? He says, you fixed a hole in the boat. And I'm paying you for this. It's not enough. But this is what I have. And he says, explain what you're talking about. And the guy says, listen, I forgot to tell you that there was a hole in the boat when I asked you to paint it. And you apparently did a good job, but I didn't see it. But my son took the boat out, uh, some of his friends. And while he was out, I remembered that there was a hole in the boat. But nothing happened. Because the hole was fixed. I am paying you, not for painting the boat, or for fixing the hole, but for saving my son and his friend's life. Are we willing to go the extra mile, do something for somebody, if it's within our means to do? Are you following what I'm saying? You know, sometimes we, 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 we think in terms of, well, economics and recompense and whatnot. You know, so I'm going to give you a bill for that, uh, for filling the... He got paid more... <laughs> uh, than if he had sent him a bill for the filling of the hole. Are you following what I'm trying to say? We have to defeat pride and ego and arrogance. And we have to love. Because this and love can't coexist. We need to start over. We need the Nicodemus treatment. We need to be born again. So if we want to take the plunge, that's what we need to do. We need to be born again. Born like new, again. And if we follow Paul, how often do we need to do this? Every day. Daily. Born again. So if we look at ministering to people and ministry in, in, at all, in, in, in the kinds of things that we do, thinking about other people, we have a level down here of do nothing. Yeah, do nothing. Unfortunately, a lot of us might fall into that category. We may have some people with a spirit of service, other who's, others who are donating resources, others who are volunteering time, others who have part-time ministry, others who have full-time ministry, others who see the work that they do as ministry. And that's what it is. Okay? Ellen White says, not one in a hundred among us is doing anything beyond engaging in the common worldly enterprises. We are not half awake to the worth of souls for whom Christ died. If the followers of Christ were awake to duty, there would be thousands where there is one today proclaiming the gospel. That's what she says. Not one in a hundred. So, some might think, well, maybe I need to be a doctor or a nurse. The most common concept of this is what you know, missionaries are, right? Bible workers, literature evangelists, teachers, preachers, right? How about cooks? 
What do you think about Cooks? Do you think Cooks could be a good missionary? Yeah, all right. How about farmers? <coughs> yeah? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, if we look, we'll find that just about everything, every enterprise in which we engage should be a means to this end. Every enterprise is a ministry. And every ministry must be born of love. And you know what that will look like? It will be comprehensive. It will take care of the total health. Total health. Not just physical, but mental, social, spiritual. The whole works. And there is something that every disciple can do. Everyone, we have no excuse. There is something that we all can do. We will love one another and we will work together. One person alone usually can't deal with all the aspects of holistic health, but together we can by God's grace. So, so we have an individual work to do, and my individual work and your individual work and your individual work and your... We create a community of health. Okay? We will care for our environment and, we, and the resources that God has placed in our charge, including our own body temples. We'll take care of all of these things. And you know what? Consider this with me, please, as we close. When practiced, if we were to really do this, it will appear as though Jesus is back. What will it take for us to take that plunge? I challenge you to take the plunge. Whatever it takes, take the plunge. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit will not let us just be satisfied with words and good ideas and well wishes. That as we are on the threshold of a new year, we symbolically can start a new relationship, a new, a new way of living, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, and a new way of being by your grace. Fill us with your love. Let us experience what it is to truly be loved by you. And let your love then overflow to others. We thank you for how you have conducted us in the past and we are assured that with you we will go all the way to the end to a victorious explosive finish and we thank you in advance for that in Jesus name, Amen God bless you all This message was recorded at the GYC to the end in Houston, Texas GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.